All right, good morning, everybody. You guys ready to dive into 1 Corinthians 6? Well, don't everybody say yes all at once. Once again, I want to say good morning. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at Heights. Pastor Lee uh, is serving in our uh, student ministry and in our kids ministry this morning. Every once in a while, he likes to take one of those opportunities to just serve elsewhere in the church. And so uh, y'all are stuck with me this morning. Sorry. Um, no, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. I uh, want to remind you guys once again, we are in the middle of a series called Relationship Status. And we're going to be talking about relationships, single relationships, married relationships, and specifically honoring God with our bodies. So this is sort of your last chance. If you've got kids with you in the worship center that aren't ready to have more of a PG-13 talk about how we honor God with our bodies, we invite you to go ahead and head out and uh, get them checked into Kids Men because uh, we're going to be using a three-letter word that starts with the letter S a lot today. All right? There's one section in this room that's kind of either really excited or it's about to get really awkward. I don't know. I don't know. So let's, before we get started here, let's, uh, let me just get a feel uh, for, who my, for who my audience is. So if you are currently married, can you go ahead and put your hand up real quick? Let me see. Who are the people in this room that are married? All right. All the junior hires that have their hands up, y'all are doing it wrong. All right. If you are currently single, can you go ahead and put your hand up real quick? Okay. Now look around. If you want to, if, if, if you want to be married instead of single, these are the people that you got to take out to coffee. All right. It's a joke. Don't be a creeper. There's free coffee in the lobby. I'm just saying. As a church, we've been walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, and so in chapters 6 and 7, Paul gets into really the nitty-gritty details of what it means to follow Jesus as a single person and follow Jesus as a married person. And, you know, at Heights, the way we primarily teach the scriptures is to walk right through books of the Bible. That means when a book of the Bible talks about a subject, we're going to talk about a subject. And that's why today we're going to be talking about one of those. You know, sometimes it's easy. You know, uh, the problem is sin. The answer is Jesus. And all God's people said, you know, let us pray. It's super easy. And then there's going to be, there's going to be weeks like today where it's like, oh, this is not going to be comfortable. You know, this is going to be kind of an awkward conversation for me to have sitting next to my parents or sitting next to my kids or sitting next to my boyfriend or sitting next to my girlfriend. But that is how we teach God's word. And one of the reasons that we teach God's word that way is because we believe in a principle that the Bible is its own best commentary. You're going to see that today as we work through this passage and we're going to get stuck in some tricky spots and we're going to say, what does Paul mean by that? And then we're going to keep reading, and Paul's going to say, what I mean by that is, you know, and so that's the best way for us to read and study God's word is to put it in its proper context so we don't like to cherry pick verses. I'm telling you all of that to let you know that this morning, as we're moving through uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, okay, you're going to notice that we don't, we don't read every single verse. We're going to skip around a little bit. The reason we're going to do that is because Pastor Lee and I talked about this passage, and Paul is really addressing two different kinds of people. He's addressing single people, and he's addressing married people, and he kind of goes back and forth. So what we decided to do was we're going to have a week where we talk to primarily about singleness and how we honor God in our singleness. And then next week, Pastor Lee is going to be back and he's going to talk about how we honor God in our marriages. And the reason he's going to do that is because he lost the coin toss. 
This is going to be a week that's going to make us a little bit uncomfortable. We're going to squirm a little bit like junior high kids. We're especially going to squirm like junior high kids if we are junior high kids. And that's okay. All right? Because this is God's word for us. But I promise, like, today's subject matter is a little more straightforward than next week is. So y'all can be praying for Pastor Lee because y'all are going to get dad next week. All right? You're going to have the talk with dad. In the meantime... We're going to go ahead and dive into what God's word has for us this morning. I want to start this morning right where we left off last week. The last verse that got preached last week uh, was 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. And this is just going to kind of set up the whole thing for us. This is going to be kind of the guiding principle for the next couple of weeks as we study the text together. It says, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. All right, that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to study. That's what we're going to unpack today. Now, listen to me carefully. We did the whole hand raise thing, right? That wasn't just a joke. That was also to kind of make us aware of something, that there's a good chunk of us in here that are married, okay? For those of you that are married, you guys are going to be tempted to say, uh, this is single week. Well, shoot, I'm just going to check out and I'll be mentally engaged next week because nothing he has to say is going to have anything to do with me, okay? Let me caution you against that, all right? This is not a sermon that is just for one group of people in this room. If you are married, okay, you remember what it was like to be single once upon a time, okay? Some, some circumstances may happen in your life later on where you may be single again, okay? And if you're married, you probably have someone in your life that is single and is walking through some of the challenges we're going to be talking about today. You've got kids, you've got grandkids, you may have coworkers or friends or neighbors that are living that single life and desperately need the word of God spoken into their life with love and you may need to be the people that do that. And so let me encourage you, don't tune out. Don't feel like, well, Matt's just talking to the high schoolers or Matt's just talking to the college kids or Matt's just talking to the young adults. No, no, this is God's word for all of us. And so listen, lean into the text this morning and hear what God's word is for all of us. You guys ready? All right, here we go. Chapter seven, verse one. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. I think that's a great place to stop. Let's pray and we can go home. No, we're not going to pray. But I am going to stop and pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for bringing us here together this morning. Lord, help us to be faithful students of your word. Um, so we can learn what it means to honor you in our singleness, to honor you in our lives, to honor you with our, our emotions, our thoughts, and our bodies. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I grew up in church, and there comes a time in your life where you get away from the, uh, the, the, the flannel graph Bible stories on, on the felt board, and you actually open up God's word for yourself. A lot of times it kind of starts happening in junior high. And when junior high Matt read for, uh, 1 Corinthians 7.1, that was a bit of a shock to junior high Matt's system. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. In fact, uh, in the original language, it says it's good for a man to not even touch a woman. That's, the, that's the, the language that they use there in the Greek. And I was like, whoa, this is new. I've never heard this before. It was a little bit of a shock to the system. You know? And one of the reasons why it was a shock to the system 
is because what Paul is doing here is he has entered into the question and answer part of the letter. All right. Pastor Lee and I have a podcast that comes out on Wednesdays. And one of the things that we like to do in our podcast is answer questions from church members, from people who are listening or from people who are watching. By the way, we love getting comments and questions. So if you guys got questions about the Bible or about a topic or anything that we're talking about in this sermon series, let us know because we'd love to, to answer y'all's questions. That's what Paul's doing here. All right. So when you see in verse 7, 1, and it says, it's good for a man to not touch a woman, that's probably not Paul's words. Those are probably the words of the Corinthian church. All right. Someone in the Corinthian church is saying, and that's why the ESVs put it in quotation marks, someone in the Corinthian church has said, hey, it's a really good idea for people, even if they're married, to not have sexual relations. Now, can we just stop for a second and just kind of realize how weird and crazy and messed up the church in Corinth is, okay? Because in chapter five, we've got the one guy who's hooking up with his mother-in-law or his mom. I'm not sure which one is worse, all right? But it's a problem, you know? And then Paul spends all of chapter six saying, hey, um, can you guys do me a favor and stop going to see the temple prostitutes? And they weren't going to see them just to tell them about Jesus, all right? Stop going with the prostitutes. Stop hooking up with your in-laws, okay, or your, or your step-parents or whatever. And now we get to chapter 7, and they're like, oh, yeah, and married people shouldn't have sex. It's like they got it backwards, right? The, the single people are hooking up, okay, and the married people aren't. Where is this coming from? Like, what? Okay, so Pastor Lee talked about this a couple of weeks ago. There is some Greek philosophy that's happening in their culture in this day, all right? And it's this idea that anything that involves the physical world is bad, and only the spiritual world is good, okay? Uh, the, the word is platonic dualism, but you don't really need to know what that means. What you need to know is that physical equals bad, spiritual equals good, and this is one of the Greek philosophies that was going on in Corinth at the time, all right? And so what's happening in Corinth is there's people within the church, you know, the people that aren't hooking up with their in-laws, the people that aren't going to see the prostitutes saying, hey, maybe it's, you know, if the physical is bad, maybe we should just stay away from sex altogether. You see, when it comes to sex and the way we think about honoring God with our bodies, you've got three choices, okay? Sex is God, sex is gross, or sex is a gift. Those are your three options. Now, sex is God, okay, we live in that culture. It is all around us. You don't have to wonder, what does that mean? Because we live it every single day. Turn on any television program, look at a billboard, look at an advertisement, read a blog on the internet, okay? We live in a culture that is completely obsessed with sex. We worship at the altar of sex. Sexual gratification, sexual fulfillment, sexual identity is everything to our culture. It is the most important thing in the culture that we live in, okay? That's what happens when sex is your God, okay? Sex is gross is another thing that happens. Often this is an attitude about sexuality that happens if you have been a victim of abuse or assault of some kind, all right? You may have been violated, you may have been sinned against at some point in your life, which causes you to kind of reject the whole thing and say, no, thank you, all right? This is also something that I think the church often teaches by accident, 
all right? And it goes something like this, okay? This is not something that we mean to do. This is something that happens when you read between the lines. We live in this culture that is totally saturated with sex, okay? And because we don't want to be like that culture, okay, we tend to sort of react against it, you know? And the other, other thing is, we don't spend a lot of time talking about sex in church because we're in mixed company and there's children present, you know? So we don't say enough about how to honor God with our bodies. And then when we do say something, we usually say really negative stuff, usually to the youth ministry, right? The student ministry and say, don't, 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 don't. And all the parents said, amen, right? Okay. But see, what happens when that's the only attitude, that was the only thing that ever gets taught about how we honor God with our bodies, what you end up saying without meaning to say it is, sex is evil, dirty, and gross, so save it for the person you love. That is not a proper biblical understanding of what sex is, okay? Sex is not God. God is God. Sex is not gross. Sex is a good and perfect gift that has been given to us by a God who loves us. God is the one who invented sex. God is the one who gave us sex. But that means that he is the one who is allowed to establish the guardrails that, that go around how we honor God with our bodies. And that's what Paul is talking about when he says in, in verse 2, because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. All right, let's define terms for a minute, okay? What is sexual immorality? Sexual immorality is any sexual activity that is outside of what God's plan for us is. And God's plan for us is always one man, one woman becoming one flesh in the context of marriage, okay? Go to Genesis 2.24, we're going to go to Genesis 2.24 because all the biblical authors, when they, talk about, uh, when they talk about sexuality, always end up in Genesis 2.24, all right? Moses talks about it using this verse. Paul talks about it using this verse. Uh, the Gospels, Jesus talks about it using this verse. He says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, right? That is God's plan for how we honor God with our bodies, okay? That means no hooking up, no swiping right, no friends with benefits, no I'm, I'm really attracted to this person, no we really are committed to each other, I think, no we're going to get married someday. No, no, no. One man, one woman becoming one flesh in the context of marriage. That means you make a promise to that person that you're gonna be one flesh with that person for the rest of your life. And God doesn't just do this because he wants to spoil your fun, all right? I remember when I was in college reading some kind of, some really well-known kind of classical like atheist texts. And they were like, yeah, the only reason why Christians want you to not, you know, they just wanna tell you what you're supposed to do with your body. No, 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 no. The reason why God's design for human sexuality is in the context of marriage in a committed relationship is because babies need a mommy and a daddy. All right? There's like biological things going on. The other reason is, is because it is literally two people becoming one flesh. Okay? It's not just a physical thing. 
okay? It's an emotional thing and it's a spiritual thing. So you don't want to become one flesh with somebody and then next week swipe right and become one flesh with somebody else. That is not how this is supposed to work. So how is it supposed to work? Let's join uh, what Paul has to say to us starting in verse 6. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, older people, he's talking to you right here. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Okay, now I'm going to let you guys in on a little secret, okay? The with passion right there, okay, that's not in the original Greek. The ESV added that because they thought it, it worked better that way. In the original Greek, it just says uh, it's better to marry than to burn, period, okay? In other words, if you come to me and say, but Pastor Matt, she's hot, I'm going to say, so is hell. I remember when I was living in the dorms in a Christian college. And living in the dorms in a Christian college is kind of a weird place because you've got all of these guys that are single, okay, but they also, most of them love Jesus and they're trying to live for Jesus. So you get some really interesting ideas. And I remember the conversations where the guys would come in to the dorm and they'd be like, uh, she dumped me or uh, I broke up with my girlfriend. And then they would all say the same thing. They're like, I'm starting to be afraid that maybe I have the gift. You guys know what gift they're talking about? Like, it's that one gift that God gives you that you do not want. Whatever, get, Lord, give me any gift, but do not give me the gift of singleness because that's not a blessing, that's a curse. You know, and for those of you that, that are single this morning, y'all might feel that way, and that's okay. It's okay to feel that way. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. What Paul is saying is, some of us are single. Right now, if you are single, you have the gift of singleness. It is a gift that God has given you. I know maybe it doesn't feel like it, but it's a gift that God's given you. And if you're married, that is a gift that God has given you. All right? There are two different ways that you can serve the Lord. You can serve the Lord as a single person, and you can serve the Lord as a married person. Here's what you need to be careful of. All right. If God has called you, has given you the gift of being single, don't waste your gift All right, by acting like a married person and doing the thing that only married people are supposed to do. Don't waste your gift. When you are a single person, and I know it's going to be hard for you guys to understand this, especially those of you that are young, Okay, because you may be just getting started in your career and you get paid every two weeks and the money runs out after one. Okay, I get that. I get it. I've been there. I know how that feels. Okay, as a single person, you have more control and freedom over how you spend your time and how you spend your money and how you spend your finances than you will ever have as a married person. Right. I got five other in people in my house that I've got to provide for. I've got five other people in my house that I've got to think about, all right, when I'm deciding how I'm going to spend my time, you know? When I'm a single person, do you know what I make for dinner? Whatever I want. Let's be real. I'm going to order a pizza or go to Jack in the Box. That's what's going to happen. But you know what I mean? Before I figure out what I'm going to make for dinner, 
okay? There has to be a conference call and a negotiation and a vote has to take place before I can decide what I'm gonna pick up at the grocery store, all right? That's married life, okay? What God has called you to as a single person is to honor him in your singleness. Don't waste that opportunity, okay? Don't feel like you're stuck in this holding pattern and your life isn't actually gonna start until you get married or until you find that person, okay? And don't waste your life swiping right and hooking up with whoever you can find, okay? Don't become one flesh with some random person that you met on the internet, all right? If you are a single person, don't waste your time, all right, with video games and internet porn. Let me say that again. Don't waste your time with video games and internet porn. In fact, you may be a person where you're like, you know what, God's given me this gift of being single and I'm ready to take it and exchange it for the gift of being married, amen? And then when that happens, you know a really good way to exchange the gift of being single for the gift of being married? is to stop playing video games and watching inappropriate stuff on the internet and to stop swiping right and hooking up with whatever random person is available, all right? It, when you get to a place in your life where you're like, you know what, God's, God's gifted me with singleness and I'm ready to be gifted with something else, then what you need to do, you know, is find a nice boy or a nice girl who loves Jesus and has a job and take them to coffee. That's how this works. If you're a guy and you're like, you know what, I re I'm ready to not be single anymore, I'm ready to be married, then what you need is to be a nice boy who loves Jesus, who has a job, has buttons on his shirts, and you find yourself a nice girl who loves Jesus and take her to coffee. That's how you do this thing. That's how this is supposed to work. Don't put the cart before the horse. Don't take God's good and perfect gift that he's given to be something that happens in the context of marriage and turn it into something that happens on the internet, something that involves swiping and breaking commandments and repeat. Listen to what Paul says in verse 25. And he's going to use the word betrothed. All right, betrothed is kind of an old-fashioned word that means uh, somebody that you're engaged to be married to. And that might be kind of what's going on here in this passage is that he's talking about people that may be engaged to be married. But I want you to think of it a little bit more broadly that way. Think about this as like dating relationships, people that are single, okay? Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Okay, pause for a second there because I've heard people say before when they come to this passage, well, Paul's saying here that this is just his opinion. Okay, that's not really what he's saying. What he's saying is when it comes to whether or not young people are supposed to get married or stay single, okay, I don't have a Bible verse for that. But what I have is some good knowledge about how the Christian life works. All right, and this is what he says. I think that in view of the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. So this is a tricky passage. What on earth 
is Paul talking about? When, when it talks about this present distress, this is another one that kind of raises your eyebrows. You're like, man, I, I thought that the Christians, you know, were on team marriage here. And it kind of sounds like Paul's saying maybe marriage isn't always a great idea. And that is, that's exactly what he's saying. So some people think that what he's talking about there is maybe it's a good idea to stay single because the church is experiencing persecution. Or maybe it's a good idea for the church to stay single because there's some kind of a famine going on and, and they can't, um, and, and, and there's not enough food to go around, okay? Uh, those are both possibilities. We don't really have good evidence for that from what we know about the church in Corinth, all right? The church does not seem to be under persecution. They're like a pretty good middle-class church, and they're in a big hurry to get in front of the magistrate and take each other to court and sue each other. So we don't think it's persecution, and we don't really think that there's a problem with food, because the biggest problem that Paul talks about with food is that the people are elbowing each other out of the way, trying to get to the front of the line at the potluck first. All right, he's going to talk about that later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. All right, so it doesn't really seem like no food is the issue. It doesn't really seem like persecution is the issue. That'll become an issue for the church later, later on. But it kind of seems like Paul is saying, okay, so what is this present crisis that, that Paul's talking about? I'm glad you asked. Let's keep reading because the text is always its own best commentary. Look at verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers. Thank you, Paul. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. What Paul is saying here is life is short. Life is short. The present distress that Paul is talking about might not be some external thing like a famine or religious persecution. Paul is looking at the world around him and he's saying, this is a world that is full of lost people that are desperately in need of a savior and Jesus is coming back. And so the clock is ticking. So what, you, what, what Paul is saying here is, it's similar to what he says in Ephesians 5, uh, verses 15 and 16, when he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So when he's walking through this whole thing about those who mourn as though they were not mourning and those who had wives live as though they had none, okay, pause for a second, all right? Because this is an important principle that we're talking about here. If you read just that verse that says, let those who have wives live as though they had none, okay, that if you only read that one verse, you'd be like, oh, that's weird. That means like, we're not supposed to do what married people do, or I'm supposed to go hook up with somebody else. No, that's not what Paul's saying. In fact, Paul's going to talk all about how husbands and wives are supposed to act next week. Pastor Lee's going to talk about it. Y'all can pray for him, all right? What, but what Paul is saying is, everything in your life changes when you become a Christian. All right, We are no longer citizens of the city we live in or the state or the country that we live in. We're now citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And so that means everything in our lives changes. All right, Our priorities are completely different. All right, How we approach our job changes. 
how we approach raising our family changes and how we honor God with our bodies and in our relationships changes. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying the clock is ticking. People are dying without a savior and we've got work to do. So the thing I want you to really think about this morning, for those of you in the room that are single, specifically those of you in the room that are single, I want you to think about how you can leverage your singleness for the glory of God. Right? We talked early about, earlier about the whole idea of having more control over how you spend your time and how you spend your money. I know you may not have as much money, but you have lots of freedom, okay? Give you guys one real easy example. Who's up for some vacation Bible school, all right? Who has the freedom that they can take a week off of work, do, spend some vacation time, and tell kids about Jesus, all right? If you're a single person, you are not dragging a bunch of people around with you when it comes to do ministry of the gospel, okay? There are places in Houston, right, where I probably shouldn't go because I've got four little ones at home that are counting on my paycheck to survive. All right, there are places that need the gospel that you can get where it's way easier to go uh, if you're a single person, okay? And we're not just talking about like a closed country or a developing country. We're talking about places in Houston or even certain places in Alvin that desperately need the gospel that maybe a single person can go when, uh, when, when a married person has got too many things they've got to worry about. Paul's going to talk about that in just a minute, okay? If you're a single person, Okay, you don't have a bunch of little people at home destroying your house. So chances are, maybe you're a guy and you're kind of handy. There may be somebody in your church or in your community or a neighbor who could really use a hand fixing something that their kids broke. Right? If you're a young lady or if you're a, a, a single lady of any age, all right, and you know someone who has kids, if you know a mom who has kids, you know someone who is overwhelmed. I guarantee it. Okay, that person desperately could use some help with housework, some help with childcare, a kind word and a cup of coffee and some adult conversation. Think about ways that you as a single person can leverage that freedom that you have to win people for the gospel. This is what Paul says in verse 32. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. All right? So once again, Paul is operating within this big idea, okay? Being single is a gift. Being married is a gift. But they're different. And how we honor God is different whether we're single or whether we're married. So the thing that I want to caution you is this. You may come to me and say, Pastor Matt, being single is really, really hard. And I would say, yes, I remember. It was really, really hard. You know what else is hard? Being married. If you're a young person and you're like, oh my gosh, 
I've got to meet that person and get on with the rest of my life. Especially if you're like a young adult and you want, and you sort of picture just yourself being married at a certain age and you've moved past that age, all right? It can be really hard to feel like your life hasn't gotten started yet because you're not married, okay? Or if you're a young person, you're just really in a hurry to get married so you can do that thing that only married people are supposed to do. Let me caution you against that, okay? Marriage is hard. My accountability partner and I throw this hashtag back and forth at each other all the time as we're encouraging one another to be good husbands and good fathers. You know, oh my gosh, this thing happened, lost my temper, said something I shouldn't have said, got mad, we had an argument about something. Hashtag marriage, marriage is hard. We just remind each other. Like marriage is hard and you do it anyway because it's what God's called us to do because God's called us, God's given us the gift of marriage. Being married, uh, Proverbs says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Marriage is a blessing, but marriage is hard, all right? Marriage is for men, it's not for boys who can shave. So my encouragement is whether you're a young person who's waiting for the rest of their life to start or you're a person whose marriage has ended and you don't know how to function as a single person, don't be in a hurry to get married just because you don't want to be lonely or just because you think that's how it's supposed to be or just because you want to do the thing that married people are supposed to do. Get married when you find someone else that you want to serve the Lord together with. Because God has given you a gift of being single. And it's okay when you're ready to trade that gift for the gift of being married. But when you do that, you do that with another person that you're going to be one flesh with. So that you can love and serve Jesus together. So that you can love and serve your church together. So that you can love and serve your community together. Because we're all building his kingdom. So how do we conduct ourselves in the meantime, right? All right, I get it. God's called some of us to be married. He's called some of us to be single. Wherever I am right now, that's the gift that God has given me. It's okay for that gift to change later on. It's okay to take steps towards changing that gift. You know, once again, you know, guys, if you're tired of being single, you know, get, your, get yourself a shirt with buttons and a job. You find a nice girl who loves Jesus and ask her out to coffee, okay? Ladies, you find yourself a, a nice boy who loves Jesus and has a job and buttons on his shirt. That's what you're looking for. That's what I tell my girls, buttons on the shirt. It's really important. It's okay for those things to change. As a church, it needs to be okay for us to have people that are loving and serving the Lord as single people. We have a tendency to kind of be in a hurry especially with our younger people. Oh, you got to get married, got to get married, got to get married, got to find a nice girl, got to find a nice girl, got to find a nice girl. Yeah, if you want to be married, it is important. Find a nice girl who loves Jesus. You know what else is important? Serving the Lord as a single person. You know, when I first started teaching years ago, one of the guys that I taught with was one of the most godly men that I knew, one of the most godly men I've ever known, had been single his whole life. Wasn't divorced, wasn't, just, just had never found the right girl. And was still interested. God called him to a life of singleness. And he loved and served his church and his community as a single person. And that needs to be okay. Let's not be in a hurry 
to have people in our lives change one gift for the other. God's going to do that in his time and when they're ready. When it comes to the way we treat one another in uh, male-female relationships, okay? Verse 36. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It's no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. So in the meantime, as we're learning to interface with one another, as we're having relationships with each other as men and women, how do we handle that? Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5. We treat older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. That's the guiding principle. You know, I like to say brothers and sisters. And it's a good thing that we're in the South so I can say that and nobody thinks it's weird. Back in California, nobody talks like that. And so they, so they think it's weird. Brothers and sisters, all right? That's how we treat one another, all right? You might be of a certain age in this room right now and you're, the biggest thing in your mind is how far is too far, okay? And if you have that question, I'm going to direct all of those questions to Pastor Jonathan. You're welcome. If you're asking yourself the question, how far is too far, ask yourself the question, would I do that with my brother or my sister? There's your answer. I get, that needs to be its own sermon, all right? But I'm just throwing it out there. Think about that. If you're asking yourself the question, how far is too far, the answer is whatever you want to do is too far. That's just, that's just a good rule of thumb. We conduct ourselves in all purity. And this is where like the thing just stops. Because if you're like me, you see that word purity on the screen and you just got a gut check. Like you just, all of a sudden something happened inside you and you got all the wind knocked out of your sails. Because you're thinking about your life and you're thinking about your history and the way you conducted yourself maybe long ago or maybe the way you're currently conducting yourself and you're like, there's not a lot of purity there, you know? You're looking at your internet search history and you're not seeing purity, okay? You're thinking of the way that you're conducting yourself with boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever person that you met on the internet and you're saying, oh, there's not a lot of purity there, okay? Or maybe you are someone who was sinned against sexually and you've gone through your whole life feeling like you were not capable of purity because somebody sinned against you you know there's a thing that happens in the church and i think it's because we're so concerned about the permanent ramifications of sexual sin that we can sort of treat sexual sin like it's in like this whole other category and it's the unforgivable sin. And if so, if you're a person who has sexual sin in your past or who has sexual sin in your present, you might feel like you're walking around with a scarlet letter. You might feel that way. And for those of you that feel that way, that have felt that way in the past, either because of a sin 
that you committed or a sin that was committed against you, I want to invite you to find the healing and the grace that comes from Jesus Christ. I'm going to skip back to chapter 6 real quick. Pastor Lee actually covered this verse two weeks ago, but it's a good place for us to close. Paul gives you a list, a grocery list, a, a dirty laundry list of sin in the church. All right? And he starts with sexual immorality. And then he talks about lying, ripping people off, being a jerk, losing your temper. He goes through this laundry list of things that people in the church have done. And he gets to verse 11. He says, such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. If you are a person who has been carrying around the guilt and the shame of some kind of sexual sin that's in your past or that's in your present or some sin that has been committed against you, I need you to lay that burden down at the foot of the cross because that sin, along with every other sin, Jesus paid for when he went to the cross. And by the power of his spirit, we can find healing. Worship team is going to come back up and we're going to sing a couple of songs as we close our service today. But, but as they start to, to move to get in place, I'm just going to invite you to go ahead and bow your head with me. I would say it is very, very likely that every single one of us in this room has failed at some point to honor God with their bodies and to live in a way that God has called them to live. I was speaking with a gentleman right after our first service, and this was a, a, an older gentleman, and he looked right at me and, the, and he said, he said, it's, it's the hardest thing and it never gets any easier. And I think he's right. It's hard, to live with Christ. it's hard to live for Christ and to honor God with our bodies. It's hard to live in a way that God has called us to live. And it's hard to let go of the guilt and the shame that, is, uh, that accompanies sexual sin or being sinned against. But this morning, I want to invite you to lay those burdens down. If you're, per, if you're a person that's in the middle of dealing with sin, Lord, I invite you to do what the Bible says, repent. Which means you leave that sin at the foot of the cross and you turn and you follow Jesus. If you've been carrying the guilt and the shame of mistakes that you have made in your past, even if it's your recent past, I invite you to lay that burden down. Because that sin along with every other sin has been nailed to the cross. I want to thank you for watching today's message. Right now, I want to encourage you to do something. You know, when we hear the Word of God, the Bible calls us to make a decision. And really, that comes from Jesus. All throughout the New Testament, Jesus is saying, come and follow me. And if you think about all the decisions that you've had to make in your life, some were small decisions, some were big decisions, some were not really important, and some were very important. But the decision of what you're going to do with Jesus Christ in your life is the most important decision that you're ever going to make. See, really, there's only two options. You can walk with Jesus or you could walk away from Jesus. 
And I want to encourage you right now to walk with Jesus. And the way that you have a relationship with Jesus is you place your faith in Him. You place your trust in Him. And what you're doing by placing your faith and trust in Jesus is you're saying, Jesus, I, I know I have sin. I know I have sin in my life that separates me from God. And I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to trust that you can bring me to God. See, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 and verse 21 that Jesus knew no sin, but he was made to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And what that means is this, that when Jesus died on the cross, God put all our sin on him. And that when you trust by faith in Jesus, he gets your sin and you get his righteousness. It's called the great exchange. You give him your sin and he gives you his righteousness. That means you're forgiven. You're forgiven of all the sins that you've ever done and that you're forgiven of all the sins you ever will do. And the Bible says that when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, that God forgives you of your sin and he forgives you of, of the power of sin in your life right now, that when you die, that God will take you to heaven to be with him for all of eternity. And so if you're ready to do that, I want to encourage you to do that right now where you are. And you simply can pray along with me. Just bow your head and close your eyes. And you can say, Dear God, I know I have sinned. And today I'm ready to trust Jesus as my Savior. Thank you, God, for saving me. Now, friend, if you've prayed that with us today, I want to encourage you to let us know. You can go to heightschurch.org connect or simply open the camera app uh, on your phone and put it right over this QR code, and that's going to take you to that website. There you can let us know that you prayed to receive Jesus as your Savior. What we'd love to do is celebrate that with you, pray for you, come alongside of you and help you take your next steps of faith. And so I want to thank you for watching today's message. I want to encourage you, if you're able to make it out, we'd love to see you in person here at Heights on Sunday mornings at 9 or 10.30 a.m. Or you can catch us online at 9 and 10.30 a.m. live on Sunday mornings on our Heights Facebook page or our Heights YouTube page. So again, until next time, God bless and have a great week.